chapter 5. Whoa. 1 John chapter 5. We have been going through the book of 1 John, and 1 John was written to give assurance of salvation. And he used the word over and over again, you can know, you can be assured, you can know. And we'll begin reading in verse 13 and read down through verse 17. If you'll follow along, I'm reading in 1 John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we can't thank you enough for your word. The encouragement that it gives, the conviction that it brings, the direction that it provides. Lord, we thank you that it is the living word. And I pray that your spirit today would truly make it to be alive in our lives. I pray truly that your message would be conveyed today, and for that to happen, Lord, it needs to be the ministry of your Spirit and not me, and I pray that truly your Spirit would do the ministering and that we would be open and receptive and obedient to your promptings, we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving, amen. This church was founded around 1955, so this is the 60th year that um, the Word of God has been proclaimed here. But bear with me, just imagine with me this story, okay? We're imagining this. Let's say 15 years into its history... In 1970, how many of you, as far as you can remember, were here in 1970 in this church? Okay. All right. So some of you were here in 1970. Let's say that in 1970, they were having a meeting talking about missions. And um, I'm going to use the names just randomly picked Bob and Harriet, a married couple. But in the meeting, Harriet was in the nursery, and Bob was in the meeting, and they were talking about missions. And Bob said, well, I think I should have something to say about this, because I gave $10,000 to missions through the Faith Promise Missions Program this last year. And someone was there that challenged that. You gave $10,000 to missions? 
And he said, yes, I did. And all of a sudden, he fell over dead. Pow, right there. So they carried him out. And they said, we got to figure out what's going on. Let's go get Harriet out of the nursery and find out. And they asked Harriet, and some of you know where we're going with this. They asked Harriet, and she said, absolutely, we gave $10,000, and she fell over dead. Just like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts chapter 5. Now, seriously. If something like that happened in 1970 in this church, don't you think that would have a profound impact on this church? Those of you that were here in 1970 and actually saw them carry Bob out and saw them carry Harriet out, every time Faith Promise Commitment came around, You'd probably be, listen folks, I remember Bob. He was a pretty good guy. But when it comes to this stuff, and this isn't about faith promise missions, this is not about any of that, it would, as it did in the book of Acts, great fear fell upon the people because they saw God intervene. I mean, actively step into the lives of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. But I, I give that illustration and share that story. If that happened 35 years ago, there still would be remembrances of it. There still would be some, some carryover of it, whether people were there or the others saying, I remember hearing Joe say about that meeting that they had, and they'd never had another meeting in church like that before. That's called slaying by the Spirit, not slaying in the Spirit, okay? And it would have a profound impact. Now, it would also have an impact to um, a temptation... I mean, think about it. If that actually happened, would you be real anxious to come to church the next Sunday? Some would, and some say, I am not going there. They haul people out every Sunday. Well, they did last Sunday. I don't know if they're going to this next Sunday. Some, it would drive away. Some, it would make them to really be in the fear of the Lord and, and walk a, a life dedicated to the Lord and so on. So, we're talking the illustration, something that happened about 35 years, would have happened in our illustration 35 years ago. John, in 1 John is writing this 60 years after Christ's life. Ananias and Sapphira, I didn't go in and look, but Ananias and Sapphira's life was an impact on Christians in those days. So John is writing, and they know about a sin unto death. Number one, they were students of the Old Testament. They knew that Yuzah touched the ark 
and he wasn't supposed to touch the ark, and he died on the spot. He had good intentions, good motives. He was um, trying to protect it from falling off, but he died right there on the spot. They knew about Achan because of his sin. That not only Achan died, but his family died. They also were aware of um, other things that were going on. And there is a sin unto death. As I was studying through this passage, most everything that I studied said, this is a very, very difficult passage. And some of them, that's all they would say. And then they just move on. I love commentaries like that. You know, I love Greek scholars like that. And um, others would say it could mean spiritual death. It could mean the unpardonable sin. It could mean a Christian's physical death. Because of sin, God bringing judgment upon them. And most all of them would conclude, but we don't know for sure. Now, I am only saying this because some of you are probably thinking, well, what do you think it is? And without going into this, let me, let me just share with you. As I'm praying about and wrestling with this passage of Scripture, and when I say wrestling with it, it's like, okay, God, what, what do you want us to have from this passage of Scripture? I don't believe it is spiritual death, because if you use the, the um, proper study of the word death, He says, there is a sin not unto death. Well, every sin, the end result of sin is spiritual death. Without going into further detail, personally, and I'm not going to stake my life on it, but personally, I believe it is a death brought about by the judgment of God on a believer. But I believe that's not the main point that John is trying to get at. Remember, step back and get the picture of John. He's saying, I want you to know that you have confidence that you are a child of God. There are people going about that say you cannot know you are a child of God. And John is writing to say, I want you to know that you are a child of God. And he says, these are the ways that you can know. You will be right biblically about who Christ is. You will desire obedience, and you will have a love for the brethren. Those are the three main themes that we've gone over that he mentions through this. And in chapter 5, he's going over some of them again in his circular um, understanding, spiral, come back and reemphasize these truths. And he has just emphasized, we know that we have everlasting life. And as we saw last week, he said, because we know we have everlasting life, we have this confidence that we can go to the Father 
We have access to the Father, and the Father welcomes us. He wants us to come, and whatsoever we ask in His name, in His will, He gives it to us. And, and without going back too much, we saw last week that means as we come and we are making requests for provisions to do the will of God, God is anxious to give those to us. And John then is going on and he illustrates it with verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. So here we are and we see a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, and we go to the Father because we have the confidence we are a child of God. We go to the Father and we say, God, would you minister in his life? If any man see a brother sin a sin not unto death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. And then John said, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. So, here, here's another brother, a sin, that John says there are sins that lead to death, and they were aware of that. They knew about that. And John says, I, I do not say that you really need to pray about that. The question is, How do you know it's a sin unto death until they die? You don't. But the point of this whole thing is John is saying, because you are a child of God, act like a child of God and go to the throne of God and make requests for the will of God to be done. And in this, he is teaching us several things. Number one, no sin is minor. He's not saying, there are some big, big sins here. And then there are some other. He he is not saying that. Notice what he said in verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. He was talking, there is a sin unto death. There is also a sin that is not unto death. That's in God's hand. I mean, honestly, were Ananias and Sapphira the only two liars in the early church? But for some reason, in the sovereignty of God, God wanted to illustrate His holiness and illustrate the importance of not lying to the Holy Spirit. That was their sin. And Ananias and Sapphira were the object lessons, if you please. So, he's saying, he's not saying there's some sins that's bigger than other. All unrighteousness is sin, and every sin has consequences. Every sin that we commit grieves the Holy Spirit. Every sin that we commit breaks fellowship with God. It mocks Christ's suffering. It's like, Christ, I know you died on the cross for sin, for my sin, but I still love this sin. The very sin that caused your suffering. 
Sin has consequences. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, If you sow to the flesh, you will, not you might, you maybe, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's a, it's a principle that is as foundational as the dirt of the earth. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. And John is not minimizing that some sins are bigger than others, but he's saying that sin has consequences and some sins um, actually can lead to death. But in this... He says, we are to pray for others. Now, we're not going to belabor the point. But the reality is that sin has consequences. And when you sow to the flesh, you don't reap the consequences immediately. Seldom do you reap the consequences immediately. But sin will always mock us. Sin will always destroy us. Sin will always dishonor and bring shame to our Savior. It always has consequences. So John is saying, when you see a brother sin, as a believer, as a child of God, we are to pray for them. We have a responsibility to each other. We are to be alert to people who are trapped in sin. We are brothers and sisters. We are a family. We are not competitors. This isn't college football. So you're ranked 12th and you look after your game that you just won and you see, ah, the number eight team in the nation got knocked off and the number five team in the nation got knocked off. Hey, we're... We have a good chance of getting in the top ten. Yes, they got knocked off. That's many times the attitude that Christians have to one another. I didn't think they were all there cracked up to be. I'm glad they finally got exposed. That is not the attitude that we ought to have. We ought to weep when any brother or sister believes the lies of Satan and is taken in sin. We are part of the body. I mean, when your left hand gets injured, does your right hand do a little happy dance over here saying, yeah, I never liked that left hand anyway. Makes me do all the work. Makes me, I'm right-handed. Makes me do all the work. It's just long for the free ride. No. It immediately comes to the aid. Oh, man. And your whole body, when one member of your body hurts, your whole body hurts and you start jumping around. Oh, man, how did I, how was I so stupid to put my hand in there? As believers, we must come to the aid of one another and we must intercede. We can't be indifferent to sin, especially if we love them. 
And that's what John is saying throughout this. If you really love God, you will love your brother. Don't say you love God and then turn a deaf ear to their sin or just walk away and say, well, that does, serves them right. No, if you really love God, when you see a brother in sin, you will go before God and you will pray for him. And we don't have time to go into it. But it's it's not a question of all the other things you should do. Immediately, you should pray for him. And don't stop in a pious manner and say, Well, I don't know if that is a sin unto death or not. No, pray for them. And if it's a sin unto death, they'll keel over and die. And God will not rebuke you and say, What were you doing praying for him that sinned unto death? John isn't writing to forbid that. He is encouraging us to pray. He is encouraging us to use our child rights, so to speak, and and our privileges as a child of God to run before God and say, God, help this member of our family. God, we plead your mercies in this. How do you know whom you should pray for? If you know of a need, pray. If you... God brings someone to your mind, pray. Be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's more important that we pray than what we pray. Sometimes we, we analyze to the point of paralysis. We're, we're, I wonder, should I pray for them? Should I do? No, pray. Why? Because prayer for others can give life. Notice what he says. He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Prayer is not just about us, me, and mine. It certainly is a way to draw close to the Lord, but it is also a way for us to help others to come to the Lord or come back to the Lord or to have life restored. Only heaven will reveal the difference prayer has made in life. I believe some of the greatest people in heaven will be individuals that most people knew nothing about, but they were praying, praying, praying servants of the Lord, and through their prayers, many have been brought to life. Individuals that we don't know anything about. There are are individuals probably in your life, and I know most assuredly in my life, that it's because of their prayers that God is blessed. I I think, and, and we only know about this with Cyril Deaver because his family told us about it. But he he would take our church directory, he would take the church that he was in from North Carolina before he moved up here, and I think one other church wasn't there. He had three church directories that he would go through every day. Here he is, 
in the, the sunset years of his life and his mind slowly going away. And yet he would sit down and pray for every family in every one of those directories. I'll tell you, we have no idea the life that prayers like that give. There are, there are little old ladies scattered around the world that think they're doing nothing for God, but they're doing the most great, greatest thing that possibly can be done. They are interceding on behalf of other people. And John says, you pray because it gives life. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're familiar with John Newton and his story and amazing grace. And it was his mother's prayers that followed him in depravity and in his, his vileness that even those of his pirate ship that he ran wanted to throw him overboard. He was that vile. And it was his mother's prayers that God used to bring him to salvation and to write amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. You will never know what your prayers will do until you get to heaven. And John is saying, you are a child of God, and you see a brother in need. He says, run to the Father. He is the only author of life. And go to the Father and... God may, in His mercies, give life to them. And then John says, There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. In essence, John is saying here, Don't worry if your prayers are seemingly unanswered. You will not be rebuked for someone who has sinned unto death. And incidentally, most of us here today know of no one that we know without question that what they sinned unto death. That it was without question God, right there, like Ananias and Sapphira. But John is adding here, and he says, So you go before the Lord, interceding on behalf of this one, and it is a sin under death. Don't worry about, oh, I shouldn't have done that. John was not forbidding prayer, but he's saying, in that situation, it didn't do any good. But you're fine with it because, nevertheless, what we talked about last week, not my will, but thine be done. Not that you're good in the end result, but we embrace the will of God. The bottom line, what John is trying to emphasize here, is that it is our job to pray. And he's building it upon this. Since you know that you are a child of God, that gives us access to the Father. Since we have access to the Father, live like it, act like it. You need to be committed to the will of God. 
And as you are walking in the will of God, say, God, for your will, this is what I need. And as you are walking in the will of God, and as you are in fellowship with God, in prayer, as we mentioned last week, prayer is about fellowship with God. God alerts you. Oh, here's a brother with a need. So immediately run to the Father. And cry to the Father. Yesterday, I forget who it was, but they, I was listening on the radio and they said, we were in Jerusalem, I think it was the Rossbergs. But anyway, he said, we were in Jerusalem and there was a, a young boy following a father and an older son and we were in the busy section of Jerusalem. And he said, we kept an eye on this son because in this crowded conditions, he was getting farther and farther away. The father and the older son were in a, in a discussion and speaking and weren't paying attention. And this boy ended up about 30 feet back from them. And they were keeping an eye on this boy. And all of a sudden, they saw the father and son stop and start looking around. And so they lifted up the boy to try to lift him up over the crowd so the father could see him. And the boy started crying, Abba! 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 Which means, Daddy! 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 You understand the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and lifts us up and we need to be running to the Father and say, Abba, Abba, Father, we need you right here. Father, we need you right here. It is our job and our privilege as a child of God to pray and to pray continually and to pray fervently and to pray patiently and to pray with confidence because we know that our Father will do what is right. And we need to exercise the privilege of a son. Don't get hung up with, is... Is this the right prayer? We'll talk a little more tonight about praying in the Spirit. But our job is to pray. And God hinges so much on that. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. That's what we need. And it's not something, oh, I have to do. It's a privilege as a son. I can go to the Father and He hears me and He will give me what I ask Him when I give it and I request it according to His will. I embrace His will. God, this is what I think may be and this is what I'd like to see done, but nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. I embrace Your will. I shouldn't have put our job is to pray. I should have put our privilege is to pray. Our joy is to pray. Our delight, our only hope 
is to pray. And John is wrapping up this letter and he's saying, this is what I want you to understand. You now know that you are a child of God because you've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And there's evidence in your life. You have a love for the brethren and you embrace the truth about Christ that He is the Savior. He alone is the Messiah. And you have a desire for His Word. His commands aren't grievous to you. You want to obey Him. He says, now, now with that confidence that you're a child of God, go to the Father and intercede for this brother. And intercede for those around you. And John says, don't be worried. It seems like your prayers are unanswered. Leave it in God's hand. Our privilege is to pray. Are we doing it? Heavenly Father, I would ask that every child of yours today listening, that each of us would be challenged to a greater oneness with You through prayer. Lord, I pray that every child of Yours today, that we would realize the seriousness of sin. And Lord, that we would flee from sin and run to You. I pray for believers here today that have been dabbling in sin or embracing sin. Lord, I pray that they would see that there are consequences. And I pray today that they would confess their sin and come to You and You promise to be faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank You for Your mercies. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that is not sure that they're a child of Yours. They're not sure that they really have access to Abba, Father. Lord, I pray today that they would call upon You for the forgiveness of sins. I pray today they'd mention that to someone before they leave and and give us an opportunity to show them from the Bible how they can receive Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that You would help every one of us in the family of You to truly live like family. That we would intercede. And Lord, that we would be life givers that we would be the hose that brings the living water of You to others. And I pray for those that are actively involved in the ministry of prayer, that today You would encourage their hearts to not be weary in well-doing. Lord, teach us to pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.